we'd already played Evil Stefan, but now this is Evil yeah. Stefan who couldn't be Ripper Stefan. And so it's really just kind of more like Paul. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to say that so bad. I wanted to say it. I didn't want to cut you off, Rebecca, but I wanted to say it so bad. Just Paul, Paul, just be Paul. <laughs> Hello, brother. But I suppose distant nephew is probably more accurate. Mm. Where the hell's Elena? <sighs> There's no need for violence, Damon. You'll find her eventually. There you go. Look, I get why you like her. I mean, I have a soft spot for brunettes, too. Mm. What I don't get is why she likes you. It's because you haven't had sex with me. <laughs> Cockiness masking fear. How transparent. You expect me to believe you came all this way just to talk to her? No, that doesn't really make much sense, does it? But if I told you exactly what I did, then it would ruin the fun. Enjoy the bonfire, Damon. Hello, and welcome back to Entertainment Weekly's binge of The Vampire Diaries. I'm your host, Sam Heifel, and joining me today to talk all about season five is executive producer Julie Pleck, writer Rebecca Sunshine, and of course, Tyler Lockwood, and also season five, Julian, Michael Trevino. We're going to focus primarily on season five, but we reserve the right to talk about anything and everything. We can talk about a different show. We probably won't, but we could. And so we're putting a spoiler-wide, like, season-long, series-long, actually, sorry, spoiler alert on this entire episode. And so in the spirit of that, since I just warned you, I'm going to throw things back before we get all into season five, because Michael's here. And I remember in season one, Julie, when we were talking about this, I think I mentioned how it always shocks me how early on in the series you all, like, throw a full moon behind Tyler. And kind of already start setting that up. And so, Michael, for you, did you know when you signed on to this show? Like, did you audition as like the werewolf, or what was kind of the process for you of finding that out? I think early on in the process, knowing that this was a series of books, and I did, you know, the Wikipedia finding out, oh yeah, this this Tyler Lockwood's going to turn into a werewolf. That was exciting, but um, it was a yeah, we were going to get to that. So I thought maybe that was going to happen in season one. Uh, it didn't, and I was told it's going to happen in season two. But obviously, you know, that, that common thread of the, the full moon, I think, was enough of a kind of tease into leading up to uh, the evolution of, like, Tyler Lockwood and then, and then you know, taking on that curse and becoming a werewolf. So that was nice in, in season one for them to constantly throw that in until, if I remember, the, until the season finale of uh, season one where, you know, his eye opens up. And it changes. And then you realize, oh, no, here we go. So it was great. Kevin and I, um, neither of us particularly like writing antagonists who are antagonists just because they're dicks. You know, we we like to give even our even our bullies and even our bad guys a perspective. And we thought it was really fun to be able to have this character who's just sort of like unrelentingly kind of a jerk in the beginning ask himself, like, why am I like this? I don't understand why I'm like this. And as he's sort of having this like crisis of conscience, the full moon's in the background. And we're saying, you know, to the book readers, we're saying, don't worry, it's coming. To the non-book readers, it's just a nice little Easter egg that we can plant for later. Little did you know, you'd be doing a lot of acting in chains. Uh, Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. And it's, it's funny because, you know, yeah, at that time, I think we were all even producing aside, how do we, how do we, show this transformation and it was me shackled up in chains 
And now I see these transformations happening or these werewolves and it's like CGI and it looks all crazy. And it's, it's, uh, you know, so much added in and post, uh, they look awesome. They've gotten better, better over the years. I will say even in season five, when you're not a werewolf, you're once again in chains though, because when they like as traveler Julian, you're quite, I'm like, Michael Torino could write a book on like acting (laughs) while like not having the use of your, his arms. Well, I, I love the physicality, honestly. Anything that's more physical in performance, I, I tend to really like, I feel home there and it helps me. I just, I, I love just the physicality in any acting performances. And so that kind of, that comes comfortable for me, but also maybe uh, Julie Plex and Kevin Williamson and the powers that be, maybe they just like to torture me. I'm not sure. Well, we knew that he would have to kind of like, you know, could do wrestling weight, you know, make weight wrestling mode. So he'd starve himself for days and... <laughs> Just like a platter of, of chocolate chip cookies waiting on the other side when he was done or a pizza because he just, so he would say like all the guys would say, we're going to be shirtless. You got to give us like, a heads up. like <laughs> season one and yeah. two, everyone's super fit by season five. They're like, I'm going to need a week or two. <laughs> um, yeah, at, exactly. But yeah, you really, um, you really just committed to all of that. I mean, that was kind of the, the beauty of it is that you just gave it everything that you had. You really, really like gave your whole physical self into that. And I think that's why it was so effective. So we kept writing it because yeah. you were good at it. There we go. <laughs> you did it to yourself is what she said. Uh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm for it. The start of season five is, I feel like, always a big question for any like teen drama, which is college. And like, you know, over the years, we've watched shows skip it entirely. We've watched some shows do it in a variety of ways. Were you all like, did you ever contemplate like skipping college? Like what was the conversation you all had in the writer's room of like, okay, they just graduated high school. What's our show now? Rebecca, do you remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, we never contemplated that because what our show didn't have a whole lot of an engine, but school definitely gave it like a structure. And I also think that, you know, it was just sort of like the wish fulfillment of going to college was fun to play for our characters, even though they didn't go very far. <laughs> they were like like 20 minutes outside <laughs> of town. <laughs> so yeah, I think it was always we were always going to going to put them there. Um it took 4 seasons to get them there. That I think that I think if I remember that was only 2 years of high school. Yeah. Right? And then they <laughs> we finally got them to college. There were a lot of possibilities with attractive people that were um open for the taking, you know. So we were like definitely college. <laughs> You are absolutely right, though, because it, it was the nostalgia of of those old WB shows, you know, and, and Buffy. So much of our show was always giving like little honorable shout outs to Buffy. It, there's, it's just a rite of passage. It's a, it, it's part we when you're doing a show like this, you really you lean into those rites of passage like prom, like graduation, like going to college because you're putting a genre spin on all of it. And so it gives you a nice, comfortable uh, starting point that you know the audience isn't instantly going to just be like, oh yeah, college, great, you know, um, it's a little aspirational, and then you're like, oh, your roommate just fell out the second story window <laughs> on day one of school. Yes. That's Vampire Diaries. <laughs> By the way, like speaking of the the roommate that fell out the window, I haven't followed her music career, but isn't like Haley Kiyoko's music career massive? Is that true? I she maybe is. that would be awesome. I think she's like super famous now. <laughs> Super famous. <laughs> I'm very happy for her. She was a nice girl. <laughs> <That's awesome>. Yeah. 
So Michael, when I say season five, like what does that mean to you? Can you separate out all of these years in your head or is it just like a blur? Man, wow. Um, it's hard. It'd be difficult for me to kind of pinpoint what was happening in so many seasons. I mean, but it's like, that was such an important, in my, in my 20s, just in my personal life, right? That was a good chunk of time spent with everybody uh, involved in Vampire Diaries. And so, um, geez, season five, wow. At that point, God, I felt like there was just so much going on between Tyler and Klaus. Maybe there was always, we were, I was always couldn't get away from him or tried to, we were always battling and he's just kind of toying with me. Um, that, that's what I remember around that time or later, because it was like for Tyler, it was, it was about this, this curse, right? This werewolf curse and then living with that and dealing with it and trying to control it or not control it. And then we got into this weird space of being the hybrid. And, and and dealing with with, with with that and everything it entails. You did the first ever Originals crossover in season five of The Vampire Diaries. I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did. See, I, I love that. I love those <laughs> moments. Just that moment right there where Julie's like, oh, yeah. Like, that, those are like, that's what these are, where it's like, oh, my gosh, you forget because it's just so, yeah. so much story, right? The scope of this is so huge, and it continues to expand. Um, but, yes, that's right. I was the first crossover to head over there. I think I did two episodes of the yeah. originals. Yeah. That's why my head explodes when I talk about season five, because that was the year that I was doing season one of the originals, which turned out to be 22 episodes, season five of the Vampire Diaries, which is 22 episodes. And weirdly also, even though I wasn't doing a lot on the show, I was still like adding small bits of value somewhere. Tomorrow People oh. was on the air at the same time oh for 22 gosh. episodes. So that one year I was just juggling like 66 episodes of television. So there's little pockets of season five that I remember intimately. And then there's whole swaths of it that I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know. I don't think I was there. I have no idea. <laughs> That's why Rebecca's here. Rebecca's like, she knows where the bodies are buried. <laughs> I do. I do. So season five, you're setting up this enormous, I mean, the doppelganger season, as we, we can all call it. You're setting up this enormous, like, Silas Amara origin story. And I know, Rebecca, like, you wrote, I feel like the episode with, like, all the flashbacks and, like, setting up this huge mythology of, like, how did you, how do you make another, first of all, it's another villain. You're five seasons into a show. It's obviously Paul Wesley's face. And at that point, we've seen <laughs> Stefan and Ripper Stefan and all these things. How do you make Silas different? Like, wh what were the conversations about kind of crafting that mythology for that character? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it started laying in the track at the end of season four, really, because that's we had sort of had to do that, right? So we weren't totally sure who this person would be. But we did, I think, I do remember we wanted to give Paul a chance to play somebody different. Like, we we're going to make this guy kind of a jerk or very like cold and sort of the opposite of Stefan who kind of carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know, and he felt everything so deeply. And Silas was, um, he'd been alive for so long and he just didn't care at all about most people. So that was sort of a, a sort of a way to um, just that attitude. I mean, those are two very different characters is somebody who is, you know, very, <laughs> takes everyone's feelings upon themselves and then someone who could not be bothered. Um, and I think just that alone kind of really, um, it really made them pop. And the, and the crazy thing is, is like it really, all of those doppelganger um, hijinks 
we're really, it's what we call it actor action. You know, it's just about changing the performance, you know, because you can put on different, you know, you put on different costumes in a way, but, but Silas didn't really have anything different about the way he looked, not like, you know, Elena had and Catherine and all everyone else, Amara. They all have very different looks, but Silas and Stefan looked exactly alike. So it was all about this, giving him a chance to play kind of like out, out Damon, like make Damon feel like the sensitive one. <laughs> and we'd already done Stefan as the yeah. Ripper too, right? So it was like, we'd already played evil Stefan, but now this is evil yeah. Stefan who couldn't be Ripper Stefan. And so it's really just kind of more like Paul, you know? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say that so bad. I wanted to say it. I didn't want to cut you off, Rebecca, but I wanted to say it. So Where you're like, bad. fuck you, Paul. Just Paul. Paul, just be Paul. <laughs> That's the best part yeah. about Paul, honestly. Like, I mean, obviously, Hart a mile long, greatest guy in the world, but like when he just isn't having it, he's not having it. And I think that's no. ultimately like yeah. Silas. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. entire bus yeah. stop scene that you wrote, Rebecca, is my favorite Silas moment of I think the entire series, where he's just like at that bus stop and he's so annoyed, and then he just like kills people and walks away. It's incredible. I was psychic. I was immortal. I was in love. Now my neck hurts. My soul is crushed. I'm sitting at a bus stop in friggin' Delaware. You're in Philly. I'm in Philly. Oh, God. It's even worse. What's going on, babe? Hey, what's going on? Hey, talk to me. Oh, my God. What's happening? What are you doing to him? I think I'm liquefying his internal organs. Did I fail to mention that I'm a witch? Please, stop! No, I'm pissed off at the world, and I'm taking it out on your so-called lover. Ripper Stefan was, like, very driven by one thing, but uh, Silas, he mused a lot on things. He'd he'd been musing his entire existence, you know? He had a lot of alone time. So having, having like, someone to bounce that off of was was, um, pretty funny. It's very dark, I have to say. I think that the seasons when actors are playing dual roles, because this was the season, you know, we had the triple gangers, we had the Julian, we had the, the, the Silas. I remember getting to later in the season where I think it was the current executive Odetta at Warner Brothers. And she's like, we're going to be kind of wrapping up the doppelganger stuff soon. Right. <laughs> and I was like, you don't like the doppelganger stuff? Like, Zuta Lord, like, what do you mean? But we as writers and actors, as the actors who are now five years into the show, like we just want to stimulate ourselves, do something different. Like watching Paul be like outrageous as Silas brought us so much joy and him so much joy to play it. Watching Nina do three doppelgangers all at once, like and executing that, you just get so excited about it because it feels so fresh. And so it's one of those things that happens, I think, on long running TV shows when the writers and the actors are happier with what's going on in the season than maybe even. <laughs> the people who watch the show. I'm not mm. sure. All I know is we had, I think at the end of that season, like the word came down from on high, like no more doppelgangers. <laughs> like, oh, come on. But we wrung every last do- doppelganger out of that. It's true. Yes, mm. we did. Yes, we did. And we had to, by the way, like behind the scenes juices, we had to negotiate for the right to let Nina play Catherine again, because, um, the season two, Catherine had burnt her, like had really, really taken everything out of her. And this, the network was being very protective. Mark, Mark and Peter in the studio were being very protective. 
And they were like, you can't do that anymore. You just can't have Catherine. And we're like, shoot, how do we, you know, like Catherine's the best. And we really want to do this whole story. We want to kill her. So we had to like basically beg the network to let us even write story for Catherine. And then they like, I think Mark was like, you get seven episodes or whatever it was. He was very specific about it. It was very, it was a whole thing that uh, went on behind the scenes, but it was worth it. I mean, to me, the triple ganger made the whole thing worth it. That scene was so cool and so fun. But for you, Michael, from an actor's perspective, when you find out like you're going to get to play, you're five seasons in, boom, you're playing a whole new character. You're playing a traveler, this guy. Like, what is your experience? Well, so which guy are we talking about here? Literally, I had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, yeah. Dude, Rebecca, do you remember? Can you give us a 10 second? <laughs> yeah. Julian was in play because remember, we had this whole thing with like travelers could be passengers, right? Inside somebody's head. So they, they, they passengered this guy, Julian, who, uh, who died, a traveler, into to Tyler. You were tied up in some set that was like a, in some room under a hospital bed or something here <laughs> in the end of the season it was like it wasn't a train yard oh it was a train yard it was a train yard maybe where they I'm were all, like all the travelers gathered yeah i think one was a mall too i'm i'm blanking because the only when i'm thinking you know we're bringing up doppelgangers the the only time i can think of like from actor performance standpoint was i was able to play klaus for two episodes because he had taken over and that for me was interesting because it was trying to like embody joseph morgan essentially and he's very particular and he's got his ways on how he's playing klaus who's coming love i don't know love did i what the hell did you do to tyler that's what i enjoy about you so much more than a pretty face oh my god you're klaus you're disgusting and you're a glorious kisser yeah, but then you know what? But then I'm trying to remember, like, how many times did was Tyler either either dead or brought back or, yeah, a lot. <laughs> oh my god, I'm trying to. <laughs> this is season five, right? Okay, season five. This is the, this is the season where you go from hybrid yep. to by the finale you're human again. So it's like a real roller coaster. Got it. After all, after all that. Well, you know, it, it, here's the thing. Also. You know, once you get into season five and I can, looking back on it now, just, I can only imagine in the writer's room trying to wonder, like, where do we take him now? Or where do we put this person through now? And it's, yeah. it's difficult because just like Julie was saying, like, creatively, everybody wants to be stimulated or challenged and not try to do the same thing. So it's like, man, it's got to be so difficult to, you try to make everybody happy, right? Not only the fans or the studios or your actors or your writers, everybody. And that's just one of the creative ways that like at the time, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it now with more perspective and maturity and growth, I'm like, that's hard to do. That is hard to do to make it make sense and to plug it in for the overall story arc, but to make, make your cast happy with something new. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's where you have to go. Essentially that's where you have to have to go at some point uh, in building out that world. Honestly, just when you have series regulars and the show grows and grows and grows and you know, you're, you're killing yourself in the writer's room, just trying to give everybody good story. And there comes a time when you're like juggling. I mean, I remember once in season two, when we looked up at the board, cause we put everybody's headshot above the writer's room board just to remember like, you know, who we're working with. And, um, <laughs> and we had like 15 or 17 series regulars and recurring guest stars 
it, and we were like literally writing story for 17 people and our heads would explode. And so yeah. things like, and Tyler, Michael and I talked about this all the time. Like Tyler was difficult after a while to find new story for. And so there'd be these long pockets where, you know, after the werewolf journey and then after the class, this was like the culmination of the Klaus conflict really was the end of season four. So we're like, mm. oh, no, no, you know, and, and, and when the character dips and you don't really know what story to tell for them, that's when you pull those little tricks out of your hat. Like, oh, let's put a traveler in him and let him let the actor play something that's juicy and exciting right. without, you know, without worrying about like breaking story for the character. That's why we turn mm-hmm. characters villains all the time, you know, bad so-and-so because it's just like, all right, good. That's one less hero to service. And then it's a villain's face that you love. So you get to see the actor do, do different things. And season five is inevitably right about when those things happen. Well, this is also the season you have human Catherine, which like first I was like, no, don't <laughs> cure her. And then like, oh my, I mean, her saying, well, what's the, is it I'm the freaking Moonstone? That's still one of my like favorite lines when everyone wants her. And she's like, I'm the freaking Moonstone. And it's incredible. I'm the leverage. I'm that thing that everybody wants. I'm the freaking Moonstone. This is the season with the hundredth episode, which was is always a huge yes. deal. There's always a lot of pressure on like callbacks and things. Julie, what can you say kind of about like craft? Did you feel pressure on the hundredth episode for it to be some amazing hour of television? Yes, a hundred percent I felt that because again, going to the nostalgia of 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 old television, I mean, it used to be that when your show hit a hundred episodes, that was the benchmark of ultimate success, right? And and it, there was a huge party that, that and it, even for us, the studio threw us a massive party in Atlanta, and like the entire studio flew in, and it was this huge event and like we had to invite friends and family and it was so it was such a big deal even though it's not a story milestone like you're not working to like graduation or whatever it's such a production creative milestone and we really wanted to get it right I mean we really put all the stops like we were like this person shows up as a ghost and then then the lark's there and then and then this happens and then it's like you know and then it's like Elijah's there and you know and Rebecca's there and like we just wanted it to be this really great celebration of like pretty much anybody that we'd ever known and loved that would make sense at least to show up in that moment. So it could almost be like a best of hour of television where you get to kind of see all your favorites and have that nostalgia of the people that you love so much. And Klaus and Caroline have sex, which like I will never forget. I stayed late at work because I wanted to watch it with my former coworker, Mandy Beerley. We decided to watch it in the office. We're watching the 100th episode and we screamed so loudly when they finally hooked up that a security guard came and checked on us. And we had to be like, oh, no, sorry, this couple just had sex. Like (laughs) the most embarrassing moment of my career, but totally worth it. Rebecca Sonnenschein famously wrote the happy birthday, Caroline, you know, the speech that launched a thousand chips. Right. And uh, but I don't remember where you stood on Caroline, like because there's people in the room who are like. This is disgusting. This is a terrible relationship. It should not happen. You know what? I think I feel differently now than I used to. I used to think maybe like, oh, I don't feel like this is right. But then again, they're all vampires. So, um, and they're all bad. So like, what <laughs> is the problem? You know, I, I'm fine with it. I, I'm fine with Caroline. Why not? Like, I think people project their sort of like moral purity on Caroline, but she, she's not pure. You know, no, no she's vampire. Not pure. So 
no, <laughs> they all do bad things. And, but I, I just think it was that like, <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I, I, I loved when we started it, you know, when we, we did that episode, it was very wish fulfillmenty, like an older guy, the worldly, um, small town girl. Um, and then, you know, we're two seasons later and I don't know. I thought it was fun. I don't know. I thought it was fun. I liked it. I did Not too. everyone does. I think it worked. I think everybody loved it because for for years it was like Tyler and Caroline, we love them, we love them. And then Klaus came in and they just loved that even more. And I'm like, <laughs> how? Klaus is this evil like person killing everybody. He killed my mother. Did we not see this episode where he, you know, like what what's going on here? And and I because we did these uh, these fan conventions, you know, throughout. So we get that instant feedback throughout the years. And man, like every time it was like they much preferred Caroline with Klaus. I just didn't get it. <laughs> I remember those. Like we we used to have that with like, you know, Damon killed Elena's brother. And we we did that for a reason, which was to make the fans like slow their roll. Like Damon killed Bonnie's mother. Like Damon did so much yeah. damage to Bonnie. And then people would be like, Bayman, Bayman. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, why would right. Bonnie ever, ever, ever get anywhere near Damon? Like, it's just like never going to happen. And then Klaus, you're like, I mean, literally, you know, he, he, he murdered Caroline's ex-boyfriend's mother in on Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really Christmas. It was winter, fake winter, Close but whatever. To. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> it just... That the audience's hunger for that kind of gothic absurdity was really, really incredible. And I get it. I mean, my God, I, you know, I, I write that, you know, so I obviously feel the same way, but like, what is wrong with us? Why but are do you we think so- that's the feedback? <laughs> do you expect, do you expect that response from fans or from people when you're writing that or coming up with that story? Or are you trying to lead them to, the, to go left and they go right? What, what is that? It's both. Right. And, and okay. Rebecca will laugh because like, we work so hard to give, to lead the audience down a path without them realizing they're being led down the path to wanting this couple to happen. And so we do a lot of really freaking awesome work as writers, (laughs) like like planting these little moments, these little looks, this, the, that, where it's like, it's not part of the story. It's just literally like an energy that we're layering in. And then all of a sudden, the audience, the fans are like, oh, my God, we love this ship, right? And then they start harassing us. They're like, how could you not be writing this ship? Like, we love the ship. It's so obvious to us. It's so obvious how good it is. What's wrong with all you writers that you can't, you like, see how great this ship is? And I'm like, excuse me. It's coming. Like, yeah. Why do you think you're having this this reaction? It's not just like, except, except anybody ever in a scene with Candace. I don't know what it is about Candace, but she just had that kind of magical chemistry with everybody. And so like mm-hmm. any, like starting with Matt Donovan and then Tyler and then Klaus and ultimately Stefan or Stefan actually for me, season two was when Caroline and Stefan had that one moment in the bathroom that, and I've talked about it on the earlier podcast. Like that to mm-hmm. me was the moment I knew then that if Elaine and Stefan couldn't be together, that Stefan and Caroline. Would be so. Wow. But, she was okay. always accidental. Yeah. Like we didn't ever plan that. Like we did right. not plan Claroline when Klaus said that to Caroline. It was just meant to sort of like open her eyes and say, "Oh, there's a whole world out there." And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it launches like 
everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. just a whole, even yeah. Enzo. Eternal. I thought Caroline and Enzo yeah. had so much chemistry. Yes. No, that was a disaster. <laughs> that was a disaster because we're like, Caroline and Enzo cannot, like Caroline can literally not date every single man on the show. Like, it's just weird. <laughs> So we yeah. quickly were like, stop writing <laughs> scenes with them together. Just keep them it's apart. terrible. That's incredible. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Now back to the show. This season, you all made the big decision. Like this is when you kill Catherine. And like, maybe Julie, it's what you were saying earlier about like (laughs) needing needing to wrap it up. But like, how did you all kind of make the decision that it's like, okay, Catherine has run her course like, Now's the now's the time to kill her. And also that Stefan gets to be the one to do it. I'm very interested in that conversation. Tell me if I'm wrong, Rebecca, but I literally think we had to say we'll kill her in order to get permission to use her. <laughs> I think yeah. so, because it, it oh, was wow. so hard. It was just so hard on Nina too. Yeah. So I think at a certain point, but we really I think we I think we must have tricked them because like we were like, oh, like we'll do like Catherine's human and then Catherine's dying, and then oh Catherine Catherine is in Elena. You know, we really, we, we sailed that, right? Almost like more than half the season. Like I think she dies in episode 15. And so I feel like we kept saying, oh, just one more episode, right? One more episode and we'll wrap it up. Because we used her so much that, that year. Then I guess this is how our love story ends. (sighs) Yeah. Well, when she was only playing, that was our loophole, right? That was our clever little loophole. You're right. (laughs) We're like, she's not playing two characters. She's just playing one character. She's playing Catherine as Elena or or Elena as Catherine. So like she only had to wear one, one hair and one costume and learn one set of lines. So I love Catherine that season. That was my shoot. That was my favorite part of season five was Catherine's journey. I mean, starting from like the episode that Brian Young wrote right at the beginning where Catherine had a cold and like was miserable and sick. Like that episode made me laugh and laugh and laugh and just thought it was so delightful. And then, and then the, the trick where we thought she was dead in the hundredth, which just seemed like such a monumental moment and then learning that no, and then watching her and then her haircut. Of course, that's the great, the the infamous haircut season where she cuts (laughs) Elena's hair (laughs) while she's in her body. My favorite was that she was like constantly going like, is this something that Elena would wear? You know, like she just thought she was so uncool. And I think she, we got rid of the red. Oh, that's We'd always right. Walk, the red streak. She'd always, she's like, this is yeah. going to go. Um, yeah, that's because right. <laughs> we, we, we felt like, how do we, how do we gently move back from this? So we just had uh, Catherine get rid of it. <laughs> She was so so snotty about Elena. Yeah. So mad into her. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then fine. you literally yeah, have her like pulled into hell, but which is still fun. just like such an incredible thing. <laughs> Bye. 
I can't help you, Catherine. Pulling into hell to launch, I mean, the whole thing that happened at the end of season, at the end of the season, right? Was that when yeah. the, everyone's getting sucked yeah. away from the other yeah. side collapsing and all that? Yeah, yeah. we used, because we, here's the thing about that scene with Catherine and her getting pulled away to hell. It was so cool the way, like, it was written, blocked, and shot, but it made no sense. Like, it made no sense. It was one of those, you know, like, we always had this rule, no matter how cool something is, you have to be able to explain why it's happening so that we don't end up as those writers that like write the thing that like we can't really explain. And that was kind of the exception really. Cause I, I remember, and I don't remember like chicken or the egg, which came first, but we were sort of like, this is so rad. We want to do it so much and it doesn't make any sense. So then I think we like set out to make it make sense. And that's how we birthed like the sort of final chapter of the season with people getting yeah. sucked back away. They were, the other side was unraveling, yeah. right? It was like losing its steam. People would yeah. just be whisked away. You, you've talked about like the other side played a crucial role in kind of the quote unquote original ending that you and Kevin came up with in season two. So were you were you hesitant to get rid of it come season five? <sighs> yes, I I can't remember exactly, but like the the other side was cr- was created in the first place to give us that ability to play ghost stories and and to kind of answer the question of like, what's the vampire diaries version of, of, of not heaven, obviously it's not heaven, but mm-hmm. uh, what is peace and, and what's the road to peace and all that. And I always just liked having that sort of emotional safety for the grief in the show, which is like, yeah, if, if they're going away, at least we kind of know where they're going. And then, and so then learning that the other side was actually more like a purgatory than any kind of good place for anybody and that people in the other side were actually suffering really gave us that great way of saying oh god so by getting rid of it we all these characters get to have a really profound emotional experience because now now they're they and the audience are so used to if someone dies they come back or at least we know where they are and now we're having to say goodbye truly to anybody that's left over there um i think other people probably wanted to get rid of the other side more than i did because i (laughs) was alone on the island of thinking it was okay to bring back the dad all the time. <laughs> I just really, you, I didn't want to like, been. yeah, I think I was alone. And it, rightfully so. It's a terrible story contract. It's absolutely <laughs> like Kevin used to yell at me. He's like, you've taken all the stakes out of death. And I'm like, I know I don't care. I don't care because there's something about the, that hope that you, so it allows the audience to both experience the real pain and the real grief of losing a character, but also sort of understand, but you know what, we might see them again. So you're not just like constantly terrorizing your audience. You're giving them just a sliver of, of hope. It allowed us to kill more people, get more great deaths and and then get more story. I was, yeah, I was the, I was the one that's like, I know it's breaking all the rules of good writing, but I don't care. <laughs> I think you wrung, we wrung a lot out of it. And then yes. we thought, Oh, I, maybe this will, mm-hmm. um, make the deaths more meaning, you know, more meaningful. And of course, I think we found loopholes to it, but, but it just gave us a different way to play things. So I think after five seasons, it was, it was time to say goodbye to that particular conceit, you know, and, and then, then <laughs> I think in the Bonnie and Damon, they still survived. 
I know. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> now death is re- meaningful and real, and yet <laughs> nobody actually died. Everyone's, everyone's yep. still here. Yeah. 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 So, because we still had flash, you know, we still had every storytelling like device at our disposal. We could still tell flashbacks. We didn't, it didn't have to be linear all the time. So, yeah. we still had <laughs> tricks. <laughs> but Michael, I'm interested from an actor's perspective because this season with the hundredth and then like the actual scene where like Catherine dies and all these things, I felt like there were more group scenes that like weren't at a dance or some sort of event than usual. And I feel like the answer to this question varies based on like the show. But for do group things make things more difficult just because it's like more people in the room, or is that just like more fun for you to be acting against like eight different people? I'm going to say it's both because we, or for me, it's rarely that we are all in a scene together. So on the day, it is it is actually a lot of fun because we're rarely on set together because there's separate storylines and we see each other in passing in dressing rooms and hair and makeup. So on the day, shooting these group scenes were my favorite. They were the funnest, but they were also the hardest because we would, I'll be honest, we were messing around. And we were fucking around with each other and, and poking fun. And like, I remember Paul, like whenever it was somebody else's, and I did it too, but when it was somebody else's, you know, coverage, Paul'd be making faces. Like when we're like doing, you know, six people in a scene and everybody's popping in. So on the day, like a lot of fun, but like there'd be moments where we kind of, we either lost it or there'd be some laughter or we'd kind of, we wouldn't break, but we kind of weren't all there because we're just having a good time. So that part's hard because it makes the day go a little longer. <laughs> but those were the most fun for me. Those were the most fun. I remember showing up for the for the hundredth, and because you know I came into Atlanta just for that episode, and I showed up on set, and I saw Grismer who was directing it, and I was like, "It's the big scene where like Alaric's the ghost, and everyone's in the living room, and all that." Catherine shows up, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, and I was like, "How's it going?" And he's like, "Well, we're three hours behind." And I said, "Why?" And he's like, "Because they won't fucking shut up. They just won't yeah. shut up. They're all just having too good of a time. One of them might be drunk. I don't know. I don't even know." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, but you, you also have to remember, like, when you're shooting a scene with eight people, right? If you shoot a scene with two people, the camera, like, captures both of them. And then the camera has to, like, shoot one. And then the camera has to shoot the other. And that's, like, two, two and a half hours on a good day, right? Eight people, the camera has to go this way, that way, this way, that way, this way, that way, like, in, and and collect the coverage for every single person that has a line in multiple yeah. sizes. So you are doing that same, it's a half page scene. You're doing that same goddamn scene for like seven, eight, nine hours. And it's just like, really? I mean, anybody yeah. that would come visit a movie set on a day like that would be like, I'm never getting into the movie business. Like never. It's the most boring, yeah, no. boring thing. Or they think all the actors are very unprofessional. hundred uh, percent. Yes. <laughs> and we were, I mean, you, everyone was, but we had yeah. fun. <laughs> we had fun. No, no doubt. We, there was fun. <laughs> well, Rebecca and Julie, you touched on this a little bit of ultimately the the big finale of this season. It is Bonnie and Damon who who die in quotes. Um, so why those two? And I assume at that point you all like knew that they weren't dead dead. But did you have any idea of like the prison world yet? Or was that a like season six problem? <laughs> I remember it as being a season six problem because it's such a crazy concept. It's such a crazy like we're where do you pull that out of? You don't pull it out of the last <laughs> throes of your season, I don't think. I think I think we thought, oh, we'll just they'll land up somewhere. 
And then, because that was a very complicated mythology that we went into with the prison world and that that took a lot. So I don't think we came up with it at the end of a season. We just wonder, like threw, threw the ball. The prison world stuff was yeah. so good, I think. <laughs> at least I felt yeah. that way. It was great. <laughs> Bonnie and Damon at that point, like we're not, you know, they, their relationships had certainly evolved from trying to kill each other back in the day, but like they were not the best of friends. What made you all like that pairing? I think it was because it was a couple things. Um, there was an element of the fandom, you know, from the books, Bonnie and Damon had a thing in the books and we had sort of always said like, we don't buy a romantic connection between Bonnie and Damon because Damon's been just done too many terrible things. And Bonnie just has more integrity than that. But we wanted to service that relationship in the canon a little bit. And, um, and also it's just like narratively when two characters hate each other, the best thing you can do is lock them in an elevator together. Right. And, um, and so it was just an opportunity. The prison world was the the elevator. Again, you're season six. You're like, who hasn't been paired together enough? Who do we really want to see playing opposite each other? And Kat had really grown into just such an extraordinary actress. And and Ian, you know, like you're always like wanting a good scene partner for Ian. And it felt like she would be this really, really dynamic scene partner for him and a new energy that we hadn't really played with yet. So it was kind of exciting. It was an exciting pairing. Yeah. It's always fun to put people, mm-hmm. characters with new pairings i mean we would that's one of the things you talk about in a writer's room like who hasn't been paired together because every person you're with brings out a different side of the character right so they you see new things you see you learn new things because they haven't heard all each other's stories so it's very fun i mean you can see i mean the path of vampire diaries is very much about like who who hasn't who's new that we could put together um and get some new Mm -hmm. energy new things to discover, new stories to tell. And who are we going to kill this year? Because if we know we're (laughs) going to kill them, we can spend the entire season giving them like the greatest storyline because we, we don't have to hold anything back. You can, if you really study like the rhythms of vampire diaries, like Rebecca's saying, you can tell, you could tell probably as a new viewer about four episodes into a season who was on the (laughs) chopping block for the season. (laughs) Because they had they had really good thoughtful story, and that literally the only exception to that, one of the only exceptions to that, was was Tyler because we sent him away and then we killed him in like a totally like shocking one off. Hadn't seen the guy forever and like killed him by the side of the road. You know, like that was um, that was the yeah. exception. If this is it, if this is the way I go out, then let me go out as the face that you can never erase from your brain. The face that reminds you to the end of time of the moment you gave up. The moment you threw away everything you've ever wanted. To be a siren's little bitch. Or maybe this will be the thing that wakes you up. And then maybe both our lives will be worth something at the end of it all. So go ahead. Do it. Tear me apart. We needed something for Stefan to do, or for Damon to do that was just so, so, so horrific. 
that would make him come out the other side of his trauma because he knew like he had crossed the line and we needed it to be really, really, yeah. really extreme. But that's another season. Well, so. I mean, we could touch on it because I am interested <laughs> for Michael. Like, what is that experience? Do you get the phone call that's like, time for Tyler to go? Like, <laughs> for good this time? Well, it was, I mean, initially because, Tyler, like I said, it, it's hard to make that storyline grow for Tyler. And so ultimately, you know, popping out and then popping back in, it became this like, I was part of that, you know, Julie spoke on it earlier that she was breaking all the rules of like, you know, death, right? And so I think that with that, I think the audience bought into like, okay, nobody ever really dies. So we're going to, we're going to play by those rules. And because once that happens, then I think it's more of a surprise of like, could he come back? Could he not come back? When is he going to pop in? And so that part was exciting to be able to come back for little stints or episodes at a time. Um, but at the end there, yeah, I think it just, it, it makes, it makes the sense that like, to service the story, right? I mean, at that point, what season are we in where it's like, whatever moves this world going forward, like this is what needs to happen. And uh, at that point, not too surprising for Tyler to meet his demise in that way or at that time. Um, it's just, just this is just part of the story. This is the way we got to go. Honestly, I'm surprised. I'm surprised Tyler lasted as long. I'm surprised Tyler lasted as long, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure, like... It, I'm not sure it works. Like, I'm not sure it honored the character in the way the character probably deserved to be honored when all is said and done. And that's one of the reasons why we brought him back in the series finale too, was just to like say, Hey, it's all, you know, he's, it's, this character is such an important part of the family. Um, but it, it, it did what it had to do for the narrative purpose. So um, it, that was a tough one. <laughs> like it was a tough decision to make, but we like racked our brains for something that Damon could do that would be unforgivable. And that's kind of, you know, it's kind of where it, it landed. Michael, how has directing or has directing changed your perspective on like this experience? Yes, Michael Trevino. How has it? (laughs) How's that producing directing career going? (laughs) Towards, towards, I know it's, well, it's just begun. It's about a month old. Uh, No. Um, So basically, uh, look, I think towards the end of Vampire Diaries, I, I want, I was just fascinated with like directing and like telling the story and seeing how that works. I mean, you're on a season for you're on a series for so long and you realize like it does take so many people to produce one hour of network television and it doesn't end. And I just thought like, I'm on this. I need to really like pay attention. I'm getting some free film school, right? Like wherever you you may go for that. And right now, currently, you know, now I'm shooting Roswell, New Mexico and we're going into our fourth season. And I can remember, you know, Julie Pleck directed the pilot and I was, behind her the whole time I was I was behind video village like watching what was going on and taking it in and you know I I think at this point in my career I need to challenge myself more expand a bit and I would like to start directing and so I've been you know I shadowed Julie on the on the pilot and I've been shadowing all the directors these past seasons that have come in and it's I've been talking this game of like I want to direct I want to direct and finally you just have to like you got to put the your resources together and just go out there and do it right just go out there and, and, and shoot and so um yeah, I produced and directed this this short film that we shot in Albuquerque with some of the crew from Roswell. Um, and yeah, it's a two-day shoot, about 13 pages. And my buddy, Michael Malarkey, is the lead in it. Uh, so <laughs> keeping that whole Vampire Diaries family together. Love it. And yeah, I get a first cut of it in about two weeks. If it's as good as I think it's going to be, I'm going to show it to the powers that be. And we shall see what, what happens next. I think uh, I remember you saying like, I mean, when you when you do a show like Vampire Diaries, right? Everyone's a kid. We we're all kids. Even I was in my mid thirties, and I still felt like a child. Yeah. And 
And Trevino was like, when we got on the Roswell, he's like, you know, I feel like all I did on Vampire was like, come in, do my job, and then go out and have a little, really good time. And like, I, you know, the, all those boys, all those cats, they were just chasing the fun. And and he said, I could have learned so much. So I'm now going to take this opportunity on Roswell to like learn the craft and learn the business. And he's really done it and it's been amazing. And I think that like when you're on a long running show and you, you were watching each other grow up and we're watching each other evolve. And speaking of directing, producing, like Rebecca was infamously the best producer on Vampire Diaries because like her cuts would come back and they'd be perfect. And, 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 and I finally said to her, and I think I've told this story a million times, but I love it so much. Like, why, why are your cuts so good? Like everyone else's cuts are like, you know, they need a lot of work. They need this. Yours are great all the time. And she goes, I'm not afraid of being a bitch (laughs) (laughs) to get what I need. And she she would go sit by that director or sit with those actors and be like, no, it needs to be like this. And she never missed a beat. And everything was perfect. The performances were great and everything was good. But it must have been been miserable. You just must have been miserable having to do that. I mean, I I would say I was lucky to have the opportunity and it's come in very handy. And um, I I learned a lot and I was very exacting. But I I am sort of like, I, 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 you know, I was too old to have a good time. I just wanted to get it perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And now you get to take all that to your new show. That's right. uh, That's right. All those lessons. My own show. Yeah. Yep. Have all the rushing back. I'm actually working with some editors from the Vampire Diaries. And so sometimes I'll say, we got a Vampire Diaries scene up, guys. It's a language. It's a language. It's a real shorthand, I have to say. So it's been... It is. It's it's great to, to have a shorthand with editors. Editors really, um, they make these episodes come together. They are magic. They're magic people, and um, yeah, lots of lots of good tricks that we learned that are um, invaluable. All right, I feel like that's pretty much. Anyone have any other season five or just general thoughts they want to throw out there? Season five, super fun, very complicated. Wait, did we get to see Uncle Mason again? <laughs> was Uncle Mason in season five for a minute and all that he other side business, Ghost or did we never World get to see him again? I'm not in sure. Season three, but I don't think he was. Yeah. Okay, that's it. I don't think so. That's always there. That's always I, a lot I just going know on. from the writers' room. Yeah, from the writers' room, there had to be a moment where I was like, "How do we get Taylor <laughs> Kinney back on this show? How <laughs> yeah. do we get Taylor Kinney back? I know yep. it. Everybody's yep. excited. Always. <laughs> 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 No doubt. Oh my God. All right. Well, thank you all so much for doing this. This was so fun. And for everyone watching and listening, we will be back with season six. More vampire goodness to come next week on our next episode of Entertainment Weekly's binge, The Vampire Diaries. You can stream all eight seasons of The Vampire Diaries on Netflix right now. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get audio and follow Entertainment Weekly at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly on Instagram. And you can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Sam Highville.